0: All the saints who from their labors rest. Welcome to Proclaiming the One. This is a special edition of Proclaiming the One. We're calling it Majoring in the Minors. We're going to take a look at the... Minor festivals, commemorations, occasions in the liturgical calendar, things that we celebrate often here at Good Shepherd, but things that we don't have an opportunity to get into great detail. And so we're going to have a series of proclaiming the one special editions majoring in the minors for many, many special days in our church calendar days that you may not think about days you may not even be aware of. And today in this particular Episode We want to give kind of a general introduction to minor festivals, to feast days. Um, what do the Lutheran confessions say? Uh, I th- I thought we weren't supposed to pray to the saints. How does this fit in with what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess? My name is Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele II. We are privileged to serve the saints. That's right. You heard me right. To serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor, welcome to this special edition.
1: Yes. How exciting. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, we uh, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, and we finally were able to get off the Schneid and put this together. And uh, today we want to take a look at several things, introduction-wise, and then we're all uh, with our next episode. We'll be getting into the. Uh, specific days, and we'll do it just like Proclaiming the One. We'll start with the Gospel reading, we'll go to the Old Testament reading, we'll uh, spend some time with the Epistle, maybe a little bit with the introit or the Gradual or the Psalm of the Day, but we want to do that that Proclaiming the One program that we are noted for here. But today we want to introduce this in case anybody has any questions why we are doing it. Now, in the preface to Lutheran service book, and I'm on uh, page 12 in the preface where there's a section called commemorations, there's a quote from Augsburg Confession 21 that says, our churches teach that the remembrance of the saints is to be commended in order that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling. There's a lot to unpack there in that uh, statement from the Augsburg Confession, that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling, according to our vocation. And I think that's good for us to keep in mind. We are not praying to the saints. We are not worshiping the saints. We are not saying that they were hyper-super Christians and uh, that we are not. And uh, so we need to... um, take their good works and apply them to us in some treasury of merits. That's all nonsense. And then there's uh, two paragraphs here that I want to get us started, and I want your reaction to these two paragraphs, Pastor. The Lutheran Reformers understood that there was great benefit in remembering the saints whom God has given to his church. The Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, gives three reasons for such honor. First, we thank God for giving faithful servants to his church. Second, through such remembrance, our faith is strengthened as we see the mercy that God extended to his saints of old. Third, these saints are examples by which we may imitate both their faith and their holy living according to our calling in life. The calendar of commemorations given below lists a number of men and women from both the Old and New Testaments and from the first 19 centuries of the church's life. Other New Testament persons or events are given with the feasts and festivals calendar on page 11. Their defense of the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith and or their virtuous living have caused these individuals to stand out over time as persons worthy of recognition. In every case, the purpose of our remembrance is not that we honor these saints for their own sake, but as examples of those in whom the saving work of Jesus Christ has been made manifest to the glory of his holy name and to the praise of his grace and mercy. And it ends then with a quote from Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, that is from Lutheran Service Book, page 12 in the introductory section. Your initial thoughts on the words, the couple of paragraphs that I just read.
1: I think it's I think it's right, um, the... Christian does remember the saints because the Christian believes the Scriptures, and that's exactly what the Scriptures do. Uh, The Scriptures teach us about Abraham, who was a sinner, and yet God uh, gave word to him, and Abraham believed that word, and it was counted to him as righteousness. uh, The Scriptures teach us about St. Paul, who was a sinner, a murderer even, by his own account, and yet uh, heard the word and the preaching about Jesus and uh, became an advocate for Christianity, Uh, the scriptures remember James, the scriptures remember Peter, John, uh, the scriptures remember Jude, uh, the scriptures remember all sorts of people, David, uh, I think uh, that's one that's mentioned here in the Augsburg Confession as well. All these people were sinners and yet they believed God's word and God gave them faith and they looked ahead to Jesus and saw the fulfillment of all the scriptures in Jesus, uh, just as all the other saints do. And so when we remember the saints, we're actually looking at how God brings people to faith in Jesus and how Jesus is the center of everything that has to do in the Christian faith. Before we
0: go any further, Pastor, and uh, thank you for those comments and that reaction. Before we go any further, I think we just need to get a basic working definition of a saint. Um, you, you know that uh, um, I'm a New Orleans Saints football fan, uh, and we joke around a lot about that, but the Bible talks about saints Our liturgy talks about saints. We're going to be devoting uh, a lot of time to examining the scripture lessons appointed for the various festivals, commemoration, feast days uh, that remember many of the saints. So what is a
1: saint? Well, um, unfortunately for you, it it is something bigger than just a football team that Patrick Mahomes is going to cruise over uh, December 20th. Uh, There's something much more to it than that. (laughs) Um, It is a saint, uh, I guess the most basic definition would be a believer in Jesus, and so to start with, then, we would have saints are the people here on earth who believe that Jesus is both God and man and has died for the forgiveness of sins uh, and risen again. In other words, that's the, uh, the parts that the um, uh, Athanasian Creed, for example, whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith, and the Catholic faith is this, uh, that we believe in the Holy Trinity and we believe in Jesus. So that's a saint, okay? So the people alive that believe in Jesus— and the trinity they're saints um, we also then would have to say the people who have gone before us in the faith and are no longer alive here in the world are still saints because spiritually speaking their bodies may be in the grave but spiritually speaking they still are alive and believe in jesus um, and so we begin to have this whole big group of people who all have the same faith that christ is lord and that he has forgiven us of sins that's saint
0: And I think that's very, very important for us to be reminded of as we uh, start this new series, because we tend to think of a saint as uh, someone who has some superhuman faith, um, someone who has performed some miracle, uh, and these are flawed human beings, these are sinners redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And in that respect, uh, all baptized believers are saints. And uh, those that have gone before us were reminded in our liturgy, in the proper preface, therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, and all the company of heaven. And uh, those that have died before us in the faith are saints along with us.
1: Perhaps it's, sorry, perhaps this is a good place to talk about different definitions because the Roman Catholic definition is a little different than ours. They wouldn't, um, when they're talking about the cult of the saints, they're not talking about all believers from all times and places like I just said. Rather they're talking about those whom through legal proceedings and lawyers and uh, confirmation of miracles and things like that have been proved to have gotten out of purgatory and are now in heaven, awaiting the resurrection, um, that's not the the definition that we're using. We're talking about those who believe in Jesus, which is the way Scripture speaks about saints, not those whom the Pope has declared to be in heaven and out of purgatory.
0: Yeah, this is a this is a major distinction between what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess, and the theology of the Roman Catholic Church. That's why we have so much space devoted to this topic in the Lutheran Confessions, in the Book of Concord. Augsburg Confession 21, the Apology to the Augsburg Confession 21, the Small Called Articles, the uh, second part, all talk about this. And uh, we are not talking about a cult of the saints, and the word cult or cultus literally means worship, we're not worshiping the saints. In the Roman Catholic Church, there's an entire branch of theology devoted to this called hagiography, where they are studying the lives of the saints under a fine microphone, uh, microscope to see if they qualify in some way, shape, or form. And uh, maybe you've heard the ter- term superabrogation. Superabrogation. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, where uh, it's just basically an an overabundance of good deeds. And I have done so many good deeds, an overabundance of good deeds, that you can have some of my good deeds applied to you. And uh, we're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. We are simply talking about remembering those who have gone before us, their example of faith, their example of good works, their example for us and for the church of all time.
1: Yeah, and so real quick then, that's a great way to say it if it's about faith, because again, as Christians, we believe that God creates faith. He works it through the Holy Spirit, and so it's not, again, their works primarily, but it's, again, Christ's.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. If you heard any background noise in there, uh, we I just can't. Uh, it just happened. So there, um, we need uh, we need to take a short break. This is proclaiming the one, a special edition, uh, majoring in the minors. We're looking at the minor festivals in the church year, and uh, as we go to break, let's hear that uh, familiar tune.
2: K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, special edition, majoring in the minors. We're doing an introduction to minor festivals, feast days, commemorations in the church. We'll be devoting uh, a a special edition of Proclaiming the One for uh, the entire year. We've got uh, 52 programs put together, and uh, we hope and pray that it's a blessing and a benefit for you and for the church at large. In our opening segment here, in our introductor, introduction episode, we, uh, we talked about some things in general. We, uh, we read some uh, rubric Preface type remarks. We talked about what a saint is and a little bit about the Roman Catholic theology of uh, hagiography or the cult of the saints. And we want to get into a little more detail with that. Uh, We want to uh, make sure that we have a theological grounding before we get into some of the practical talk about what do you do on a uh, particular Saints Day and how did the church come up with specific Saints Days as well. That'll come up in our uh, next segments. First, let's turn to uh, the Book of Concord, the confessions of the Lutheran Church, not just the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but anybody who would claim to be a Lutheran in Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession, it's the very last article in the first part of the Augsburg Confession, there is a section generally titled, The Cult of the Saints. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard about the Cult of the Saints in the Augsburg Confession. The phrase, cult of the saints, is already mentioned in the previous article, Article 20 on faith and good works. And in that particular one, uh, the cult of the saints is just listed as an abuse in the church, Um, technically childish and useless work, like rosaries, the cult of the saints, Monasticism, pilgrimages, appointed fast, holy days, brotherhoods, etc. And then we have an entire article devoted to that one little specific um, phrase, the cult of the saints. Uh, Vicar, if you've got your Book of Concord open, if you would read paragraph one, paragraph one of Augsburg Confession 21.
3: Our churches teach that the history of saints may be set before us so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works, according to our calling. For example, the emperor may follow the example of David, Second Samuel, and making war to drive away the Turk from his country, for both are kings. But the scriptures do not teach that we are to call on the saints or to ask the saints for help. Scripture sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, atoning sacrifice, high priest, and intercessor. First Timothy 2, 5-6 He is to be prayed to. He has promised that he will hear our prayer. John 14, 13 This is the worship that he approves above all other worship, that he be called upon in all afflictions. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. First John 2, 1
0: Okay, um, and uh, in, in my rendering of... Uh, I've got the Tappered edition of the Book of Concord. Uh, Vicar was reading from the Reader's Edition, sometimes referred to as the McCain edition of the Book of Concord. Those were the first four paragraphs of um, Article 21, Augsburg Confession. In other words, the entire article, the entire article. So I was going to uh, dig apart... Uh, paragraph by paragraph, but we've got the whole thing out there before us. Pastor, how can you summarize for us this cult of the saints, the worship of the saints that our churches are teaching against?
1: Yeah, how do I put it in a way that's easy to understand? Um, The cult of the saints is a a teaching by the the Roman Catholic Church of that time that um, there were some Christians who were good enough in doing good works to cancel out their bad works, uh, and I'm oversimplifying, I know, uh, so that when they died, they did not go to purgatory, but they went directly to heaven. And now they are there before the throne of God. And so if you... Ask them to, they will intercede on your behalf in some way, shape, or form uh, to God himself, the big G's, if you will, uh, by... Um talking to God for you so that something can happen for you or that so some sin can't be counted against you or so that some of their good works can count in your favor or so that you don't have to spend as long in purgatory, things like that. And I'm way oversimplifying. Hopefully it it comes across clearly what the idea is.
0: Yes, but it is a very simple understanding. Uh, Do we have Christ alone as our mediator between God and human beings? Uh, Is what Christ did through his life, death, and resurrection enough, or do we need to add to that? Do we need others to be intercessors for us or mediators mediators before us? And one theology says, yes, Christ hasn't done enough. Uh, All of these things are added to it. And what the uh, Augsburg Confession in Article 21 states very, very clearly is there's only one mediator between God and men. It's okay to remember the saints, but don't pray to them. They are not your mediator. They are not your intercessor. They are an example of faith and good works, nothing
1: more. And just to be clear, it's not the Augsburg Confession or the Book of Concord that teaches there's one mediator between God and men. It is the scriptures themselves uh, that uh, teach that. Um, so that's First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Uh, it says it again in Hebrews as well, uh, multiple times. And so the idea that we only need to talk to Jesus because he's the one who takes care of it is what scripture teaches. The idea of the cult of the saints goes above and beyond that. And uh, that's I, our problem with it. I believe when Vicar read uh, Article 21 of the Augsburg
0: Confession, there were three specific scripture quotes in those uh, four paragraphs. That First Timothy 2 passage, Romans... Um, there was a, another one that First John two, First John two, um, one propitiation. Uh, it is very, very clear in Scripture, and that's what the confessions do. They say this is what we believe, teach, and confess. There are other places in the Lutheran confessions that talk specifically about this, and perhaps one of the more pointed ones is in the Small Called Articles. Small called articles uh, authored by Luther himself. Uh, Luther could be a bit blunt, uh, which is probably the understatement of the millennia. But in, uh, in Part 2, um, Article 2, there's a section called The Invocation of the Saints. The Invocation of the Saints. I just want to read this first paragraph here, and I'm reading from the Tappert edition of the Book of Concord. The invocation of the saints is also one of the abuses of the Antichrist. It is in conflict with the first chief article and undermines knowledge of Christ. It is neither commanded nor recommended, nor does it have any precedent in the Scriptures. Even if the invocation of the saints were a precious practice, which it is not, we have everything a thousandfold better in Christ. Now you can almost tell this is Luther just, just saying it like it is. Uh, he's throwing it out there. So pastor, now we have a different phrase and I want to pick this paragraph apart. The invocation of the saints. Now, when I hear the word invocation, I think of what we do at the beginning of every worship service in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are invoking the name of God. So what then is the invocation of
1: the saints? Well, um, Again, it would be talking to a saint and asking them to do something for you uh, or to intercede for you before God. And so I think of Martin Luther, right, who, though blunt, is very accurate in, in determining The reason this is a bad practice is because it takes away from the person of Christ. So Martin Luther, uh, whether it's a story or whether it really happened, talks about how he was walking on the road and a storm came out and he's hiding underneath a tree that gets struck by lightning. And he's, I think he prays to St. Anne, right? Um, You know, St. Anne, if you let me survive, then I promise to become a monk. And so he's bargaining with God, using St. Anne to uh, negotiate that bargain with God. And so he's not talking to Christ himself, you know, Lord, if it be your will, let me live. Instead he's saying, uh, St. Anne, if you can talk to God for me so that I get to live, then I will pay him back by becoming a monk and devoting my life to him. And that's the invocating, invocation of the saints that we're speaking of, talking to the saint uh, rather than to God himself. To me, that is like, treating God as a
0: evil, wicked, mean drug dealer and I can't go to him directly because uh, I'm too much of a peon. I've got to go to uh, one of the lieutenants or corporals in the system to, to get a hearing. And uh, oh, how horrific that kind of talk is.
1: And that's the problem, right, is it takes away from the office of Christ. Christ is no longer the person who comes to be the servant. Christ is no longer the one who uh, dealt with the sick and the tax collectors and the lame and the blind. Uh, instead, he's some bigwig that uh, you have to get uh, You have to know somebody to get to talk to.
0: In Part 2, Article 2, Paragraph 25 of the Small Called Articles, which I just read uh, moments ago, the invocation of saints is in conflict with the first chief article and undermines knowledge of Christ. Pastor, what does that mean, that it is in conflict with the first chief article? What is Luther talking about?
1: The first chief article that he's talking about is the first chief article uh, of the small called Articles, and you can find it in uh, section 2, paragraph 1, where he says this, Here is the first and chief article that Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Uh, It goes on a little bit more, but that's essentially it. Uh, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world, and if any theology or doctrine or teaching— uh, subtracts from the work that Christ does or attempts to add to the work that Christ does, then he says that's the greatest and simplest indicator of it being false doctrine. And I, I really love the Small Called articles because he goes through all sorts of theological teachings about that very topic, saying this is obviously wrong because it changes who Jesus is. The uh Simply
0: said, and thank you for that, simply said, the chief article of the faith, the the article on which the church stands or falls, is justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The cult of the saints, the invocation of the saints is in direct conflict with the teaching of the gospel. It undermines the gospel. It undermines knowledge of Christ. And when you come into a Lutheran church and we are celebrating uh, St. Bartholomew Day or the feast of St. Simon and St. Jude, do not think that we are praying to these saints. Do not think that we are trying to ask these saints for some special uh, mediation or intervention. We are simply remembering their witness, their good works, and their faith, and allowing this to be instructive for the life of a Christian today.
1: I'd say even more than that, what we're remembering is that Christ saved them and brought them to faith. Beautiful. Just to keep it simple. Beautiful. We need to take a break.
0: This is Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. We'll be right back.
2: K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. We're taking a look at minor festivals, feast days, commemorations, and occasions in the church. We're uh, taking this first episode to do kind of a general introduction, why we're doing what we're doing, uh, the theological grounding behind it. We uh, looked in our last segment quite a bit at Augsburg Confession 21, and also the Small Called Articles. Uh, section two and we talked about the cult of the saints the worship of the saints that is not what we are encouraging that is not what we are promoting but it is good according to god's word and uh, clearly confessed in the lutheran confessions to remember those who have gone before us both their example of faith and also their example of good works christ alone saves uh, Christ alone saved those who have gone before us. Angels and archangels and all the company of heaven are already celebrating the marriage feast of the Lamb, and we here on earth are looking forward to it. We remember and commemorate those who have gone before us in a variety of ways. It is a good, right, and salutary thing to do. Pastor, when, uh, when people here in a Lutheran church When people hear that uh, we're going to be remembering a Saint's Day, I think most people are probably pretty familiar with All Saints Day, November 1st, as it is celebrated in the church. But some of the other minor festivals might catch people off guard. They come into church and uh, they see the color on the altar is different, which uh, wakes them up right away that something special is going on. And we might be having a service where we are celebrating the minor festival of um, St. Barnabas. Or we might be celebrating the minor festival of Holy Cross Day. And they think, oh boy, that that's odd. I didn't know Lutherans did that kind of a thing. What really gets Lutherans, um, it really concerns them or raises red flags. That's the best way to say it. What really raises red flags is when they come into God's house, oh, especially about the middle of August, and they see, oh, we're going to have a special service where we remember Mary, mother of our Lord. And sometimes, long-time, hardcore Lutherans think, oh, the pastor has just become a Roman Catholic. We're worshiping Mary. We're praying to Mary. Um, I've heard these things. I've heard these things over the years. And uh, we need to do a better job of educating And that's why we have this particular program here. We'll have a whole program devoted um, later on in the summer with regard to that particular festival that I brought up. But Pastor, um, how are Lutherans to think about Mary?
1: Well, uh, she is the mother of our Lord, just as the day suggests and as the scriptures teaches. Um, She also is important because without Mary, uh, Christ would not be born. And so we don't want to deny the reality of God becoming human flesh in the incarnation um, by not talking about Mary at all as the scriptures do obviously do talk about her. But at the same time, we don't pray to her. We don't worship her. We don't uh, think that she's our co-redemptrix or savior or anything like that. All we talk about is the fact that um, she is the vessel through which God became flesh and dwelt among us and saved us then by going on the cross and bleeding and dying. And so Mary's important. She is the handmaiden of the Lord, I guess, in that sense, and yet uh, she's not our Savior. She's not one that we worship, and I want to make sure that separation is kept there in that way. We are not praying to
0: Mary. We are not worshiping Mary. We are not talking about a Mariology in the Lutheran Church, but um, Mary is a saint and sinner redeemed by the blood of Jesus. She had the special privilege, being called by grace through faith, to carry our Lord and Savior Jesus in her womb. And uh, we'll have more, t- more than enough time to talk about that later on. Um, but there, there is a theology, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, that sometimes uh, borders on Mary as the co-redemptrix, sometimes borders even on mary being elevated almost to the fourth person of the trinity and i think lutherans are gun shy we sing the magnificat in church and we don't have any problem but seems almost like any other mention of mary apart from christmas eve uh, or the apostle's creed is strictly fetterboten. Uh, in the Apos- apology of the augsburg confession And uh, the Augsburg Confession is a statement of faith. The Roman Catholic Church wrote a confutation, uh, didn't give the Lutherans a copy of it, but uh, wrote a confutation, and then the Lutherans responded with a defense or apology of the Augsburg Confession. It's a very long document, very good, very detailed, but in Article 21, talking about the invocation of the saints, there are several paragraphs devoted to Mary, and uh article 21 beginning at paragraph 25 vicar do you have any idea what where i want you to be yes okay go
3: here and there this form of absolution is used the passion of our lord jesus christ the merits of the most blessed virgin mary and of all the saints be to you for the forgiveness of sins Here the absolution is pronounced on the theory that we are reconciled and regarded righteous not only by Christ's merits, but also by the merits of the other saints. Some of us have seen a doctor of theology dying. A certain theologian, a monk, was enlisted to comfort him. He pressed on the dying man nothing but this prayer, Mother of grace, protect us from the enemy, receive us in the hour of death.
0: Okay, thank you. Perfect. That's exactly where I wanted you to be. Pastor... I hope and pray that this practice is not happening in Christian churches today. At the time of the Reformation, at the time of the writing of the Book of Concord, this was common. And I believe it is probably common in some churches still today. Why is this teaching with regard to the holy absolution the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and the merits of the most blessed virgin and of all the saints be to thee for the forgiveness of sins. Why is that such a horrific
1: absolution? Well, again, it takes away from the person work of Jesus. It shares some of the salvation work, not uh, with somebody else besides our Lord, and in this case with the Virgin Mary. And that's not, not the case. Um, she even calls God her Savior when she sings the Magnificat, which I think is a rather important point um, that uh, that we see. And so, uh, you know, anytime we take away from Christ's work being the sole source of salvation, we err uh, and we we drift into not true Christian teaching.
0: Uh Paragraph 27, uh, Vicar, in uh, Article 21, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, continues on. Would you keep reading,
3: please? Granted, the Blessed Mary prays for the Church. Does she receive souls in death? Does she conquer death? Does she make alive? What does Christ do if the Blessed Mary does these things? Although she is most worthy of the most plentiful honours, yet she does not want to be made equal to Christ. Instead, she wants us to consider and follow her example. The very subject reveals that in public opinion, the Blessed Virgin has taken over Christ's place. People have invoked her, have trusted in her mercy, and through her have wished to appease Christ, as though he were not an atoning sacrifice, but only a dreadful judge and avenger.
0: Okay, so uh, could it be any more clearly stated, Pastor, that we are to honor and revere Mary as a person who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who had the privilege to uh, have her womb be the tabernacle for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and yet at the same time, she is not God, she is not Savior, she is not the propitiation for our sins. These words to me seem to be crystal clear how Lutherans are to regard Mary.
1: Yeah, I think they are very clear, and I think that the same thing could be said for all the, the saints, right? There's not a single one of them who takes the place of Christ or is even counted as his equal. And we could even bring it more close to home and say the same thing about uh, our pastors today. You know, Pastor Poppy is not equal to Christ, and you shouldn't come to Good Shepherd Lutheran Church because Pastor Poppy's here or because Pastor Moline is so handsome, right? It's all about Christ, and all our focus should be on Christ and Jesus, and we should pray to Jesus and to Christ and him only, and that needs to be the case across the board.
0: One last uh, little tidbit here from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 21. Right after the words that Vicar just said uh, in uh, paragraphs 27 and 28, we maintain that we dare not trust in the transfer of the saints' merits to us, as though God were recounted or reconciled to us or accounted us righteous, or saved us on this account. We obtain the forgiveness of sins only by Christ's merits when we believe in him. And then 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8 is is, uh, quoted. We, as Lutheran Christians, want to remember those who have gone before us. We want to extol their life of faith, the fact that Christ redeemed them, their story, their witness, and yet at the same time, we dare not fall into the trap of thinking that we need a mediator, because Christ is our one and only mediator, or that somehow their overabundance of good works and good deeds can be added to my treasury of merits to save me. Pastor, as we bring this section to a close, any final thoughts about a proper way to extol the lives of the saints, including, and not limited to, but including the Blessed Virgin Mary, and yet not falling into the ditch that has consumed so many with an invocation of the saints or the cult of the saints?
1: Well, I think what we need to do is to look through the the saint or whoever we're speaking of to Christ and see how Christ operated in their life, even in the midst of adversity and difficulty and challenges and sickness and and pain and suffering, to save them by his work on the cross and his resurrection from the the grave and to focus on that instead and then see how Christ also saves us in the midst of our adversity, challenges, difficulty, suffering, pain— Uh, by his work on the cross. And so we see Christ doing it for them, and we know that he works the same way for us as well. So
0: in other words, it's really like a uh, proclaiming the one because Jesus is the one and only Savior from sins, even as we celebrate and recognize the Saints Day.
1: Clint Poppy, the master of Segway.
0: Oh, gosh. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the specifics with regard to the Saints Days and why we celebrate some, but not others. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. This is a uh, special edition and special focus. We're going to spend an entire year looking at feasts and festivals in the church here, many of which we celebrate right here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar... Yo. I'm sorry. Yo. Oh, yo. Okay. I <laughs> say you said stop. Nope. Uh, uh, Pastor Moline, who uh, woke me up there from my trance, and uh, Vicar Timothy Steele. We serve the saints here. Many of these minor festivals and feast days, we are able to transfer to Wednesday evening because we're privileged also to have a Wednesday evening service, 630 year-round and uh, it's a great great opportunity to have more scripture more Jesus more forgiveness as we examine these feast festival days now in this last section here for our introductory episode we want to talk some specifics and we want to get some working definitions sometimes it's a feast sometimes it's a festival a couple of times there's an occasion, like Thanksgiving. Sometimes there's a commemoration, like the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. And so we want to try to get some basics down, and I'm reading here from the Lutheran Service Book Hymn Selection Guide, page 121. This is the best introduction to feasts and festivals that I have found, and Pastor, I want to read a little bit and get your reaction to what I have just read. Page 121, along with the great feasts and Sundays and seasons, The church year also includes a constellation of other feasts and festivals, which further reflect the grace and glory of God in Christ. Occurring at various points throughout the year, these sacred occasions commemorate with thanksgiving important junctures in the life of the Lord as well as individuals whose lives and service were so formed by the life of Christ as to be a part of the gospel. That's the first paragraph. What are your thoughts there, especially with regard to a constellation of other feasts and festivals that uh, help us to fix our focus on the grace and glory of God in Christ?
1: Well, I think that maybe is a good way to think about it. Um, you know, we're we're modern people, and we just ask the Google where to send us, and it does. Um, but in the old days, to navigate, you had to look up in the sky to see the stars. Uh, specifically here in the Northern Hemisphere, we'd look at the Little Dipper, which pointed us to the North Star, and then we could do some simple math to determine which way uh, north, east, south, and west were accordingly. Um in the same way, then, all these feasts and festivals allow us to get our bearings and keep our eyes looking not to the North Star, but instead to Jesus, who is the complete and total focus of our Christian faith and is the sole reason that we are saved, and, and that is as is proper, then. We ought to pay attention to Christ, and the feasts of the church and the festivals and all the saints point us that direction. You know, I love the, for example— a good example might be St. John the Baptist, who every time he's painted, he's pointed to Jesus Christ, sometimes across the sanctuary, sometimes in the same painting, but he's always telling us about Jesus.
0: And uh, one of the things that I've learned with 20-plus uh, you know, years of history teaching vicars is that sometimes with this understanding of celebrating a festival or feast day in the church, The vicar wants to preach a sermon that is basically a history lesson or what we know from history about this particular individual or event, and they never quite get around to the Word of God and God's Word. And that is the precise thing that we want to stay away from. Uh, There is a history behind each one of these individuals, but the primary reason why we do this on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening here at Good Shepherd is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we go through our upcoming year with our focus on these minor festivals, feast days, and occasions, we will be studying the Word of God. We will be focusing on the text because that is where our focus needs to be. Just like you said with John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, that will be our focus as well. Uh, With that in mind, the next paragraph, appropriately, the church remembers and gives thanks to God for St. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who by the gracious and merciful choosing of God became the mother of his only begotten Son, Likewise, do we honor and glorify Christ in these festive commemorations of his holy apostles and evangelists, whom he called to proclaim his word to the nations. These festivals are not about worshiping the saints. Rather, they are a way and means of worshiping Christ our Lord, his Father, and the Holy Spirit, the one true God, who deals with us and bestows his gifts upon us through mortal men and women who are very human, in much the same way that children rightly honor their parents, so fathers and mothers in Christ continue to be honored by the faithful. Thanks are given to God for his gift of these faithful servants, and Christian faith and life are strengthened by these examples of his grace and mercy toward them and by the example of their faith and faithful service within their respective vocations. Pastor,
1: your thoughts on that paragraph. Well, again, um, the lives of the saints—they faced challenges and difficulties, and pain and suffering. Um, you know, we uh, we think of some of them, like Saint Lawrence, being uh, burned alive on a, a gridiron. We think about um, saints who were killed when they were out preaching the gospel. There's a famous one that uh, first brought the the word of God to England after the collapse of the Roman Empire. Uh, all these saints faced great difficulties, and yet they're pointing people not to themselves or not to trust in them, but instead to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can look at that, and we can see their suffering, and then we can think about our own life and the challenges and difficulties that we face, and how God is still working to bring us to the faith in the midst of all these challenges, and how in faith in Christ we'll still be rescued from this world of sin, will be taken out of the great tribulation and into the world to come, and that's the good news that we have. God works through means. And many times these means are
0: frail, sinful human beings called by grace through faith to serve in the church. And uh, some of them have really, really great stories uh, behind them. Uh, you know, we've we've talked often about uh, Saint Lawrence. Um, there are uh, others that have, uh, you know maybe only a legend or a story behind it, uh, being cast away, being beheaded, uh, crucified upside down. We'll do our best to distinguish fact from myth with regard to some of these particular individuals as we go through here. But we do have a lot of history, and we have a lot of these things that can help set the stage. But again, our primary focus will always be on God's Word.
1: Yeah, or, or even one of the ones that I always enjoy is Saint Matthias, who is the replacement for Judas in the uh, the 12 apostles. Uh, he's made an apostle, and that's the last that you hear about him in the scriptures. Uh, nothing else about him. Uh, the, the tradition in the churches is that he went to the armpit of the Roman Empire and was faithfully a pastor there for many, many years. But uh, uh, he's forgotten mostly, right? Except for that little bit. And uh, so even as we know and live our lives knowing that we'll probably likely be forgotten and that uh, three generations from now, no one will know who I am and I'll just be a faded name on a headstone, God's promise to me is still the same uh, and it doesn't diminish or it's not taken away from all the same. We're talking here about minor festivals,
0: and sometimes the, the word feast is attached to it. There are certain principal feasts or high feasts in the church year that we are encouraged to celebrate every year. And then the minor festivals as you have time and location. Uh, I'm going to skip the next two paragraphs in this introduction that talk about some practical matters. And then this very last paragraph says, there are certain feasts of the church that will normally take precedence over the un- ordinary Sunday propers. For example, the appointed readings, psalms, prayers, and hymns. When one of these feasts occurs on a Sunday, As indicated by the bold-faced type on page 11 in Lutheran Service Book, these principled feasts include, and now we have seven principled feasts. May catch you off guard because uh, some of them seem to be pretty minor. The circumcision and name of Jesus on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. The purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord, February 2nd. The Annunciation of Our Lord, March 25th. The Visitation, and in the one-year series, that's July 2nd. The Nativity of St. John the Baptist, June 24. The Feast of St. Michael and All Angels, September 29. All Saints Day, November 1. Those are the principled feasts in the church here. Anything about that list that strikes you, Pastor?
1: Well, again, note that uh, all these feasts are pointing to significant events In the scriptures themselves, which ultimately have their fulfillment in the person of Christ. And so I know we keep sounding like a broken record here. Everything in those feasts points us to Jesus again.
0: And we will cover in great detail the readings appointed for each of those seven principled feasts that uh, I listed off just a moment ago. And in addition to them, all of the feast days and minor festivals that are listed in uh, the... Con- table, of con- table of content. Table of content in a Lutheran service book. We have a few special days that we'll be looking at days that we don't often think about. Um, Pentecost Eve, Pentecost Monday, Pentecost Tuesday. We'll be looking at every day in Holy Week in great detail. We will look at a few occasions in the church here, Thanksgiving, Harvest Festival, National Day of Tragedy, some of these things that are listed for us. And as we do, we pray that they would be a blessing. We will look primarily at God's Word, not so much the details around the individual, but fixing our eyes and focus on the one and only Savior from sin, our Lord and Savior jesus christ pastor i'm going to give you the final word on this introductory episode to our proclaiming the one majoring in the minors
1: well as we go through everything don't get distracted and uh, take your eyes off of christ but instead uh let the lives of these saints and the events recorded in scripture that uh, reference them continue to point you to our lord and savior jesus
0: Amen, amen, amen. For Vicar Steele and Pastor Moline, I am Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God would richly bless us in this upcoming year as we examine minor festivals, feast days, and saint days in the church. God's richest blessings in Christ.